the drums and the rhythm and the singing. We got men singing today. We got horns playing today. We had guitars and people praising the Lord every way they could figure it out. Thank you for the sound people, everybody. Can I just say that? I'm just so grateful for you. What a, what a celebration that you created for us today. So today, I want to start a new series of messages. Listen carefully. You got to get this. This series is going to go on until the year of our Lord, 2034. <laughs> Seriously. I'm serious. 2034, unless Jesus comes back. Because what we're going to do, <laughs> you guys think I'm kidding. What we're going to do is we're going to take another of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus Christ every Easter until the year of our Lord, 2034. We want to get started now. Are you ready? ready. This is not for sissies, all right? We're serious. So Luke 24 in your Bible is one of the most amazing stories of post-resurrection appearance of Jesus. Luke 24 and it starts in verse 13. It goes to verse 35. It's an, it's an amazing story. It's one of the world's greatest stories ever. It's a story you should know. And if you know it, I know you're going to like hearing it again. Because it's a story that followers of Jesus just love. Luke in 24. Now, this is after the resurrection. And there are a couple of disciples on the road to to Emmaus. And we're going to read part of this. The Jewish historian and Christian convert Alfred Edersheim was obviously from Israel and had walked the path that he thinks is the path to Emmaus. And he says that the way to Emmaus, the road crosses a stream. Of course, there's a famous painting of, uh, I think, a Swiss uh, painter painted a beautiful version, his version of the road to Emmaus. And this beautiful painting, they're walking over a bridge under the trees. So you don't want, you know, kind of like flannel graph images in your mind, as helpful as they can be. And you don't want desert in your mind. The way to Emmaus wasn't a desert way. Edersheim said the road crosses a stream, follows the course of a river. And he said the way would have been scented with orange and lemon groves and olive groves and luscious fruit trees and pleasant enclosures and shady nooks and bright dwellings and the lovely height of Emmaus. So put away your visions of bland, arid desert. This was a pleasant place, and the world was alive with spring, and it was a Sunday. But the travelers on the road, they were troubled. And you will see why. Let's take our Bibles and read now. In Luke 24, and verse 13 is where the story starts. And that very day, two of them... We're going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, 
and, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women said, but him they didn't see. So here we have uh, the first chunk of uh, a, a, a story that kind of has four scenes in it. And I'm going to name them so that you can think about this. This first scene, I'm going to call it this, and I'll explain it in a minute. Sometimes your hope will leak. Sometimes your hope will leak. You have these two. The Bible says one is a fellow named Cleopas, and the other is an unnamed disciple, which according to church history, it may have been a man or it may have been Mary who might have been his wife or Mary who might have been his daughter, a different Mary than the one you're thinking, probably. But there are two followers of Jesus, one named Cleopas and another one. They're walking along the road where, to the place where they live. They've been to Jerusalem. They've seen what happened with Jesus' crucifixion. It was stuck in their mind. They heard that, he, that the tomb was empty and someone suggested that he was alive, but they obviously didn't fully believe that because how do we know that? Because they were sad. He says, what happened? And they stood still and they were sad. And if you want to understand why we're saying this section is called sometimes your hope will leak, it's because of what it says in verse 21. It's the most meaningful thing they say we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. Their hope was, well, is either gone or leaking. When, and hope is like when, you, when, you, when your hope, which is supposed to be a bright confidence in a future promise, is in the past tense, it isn't hope anymore. They said, we, had, we used to hope that this powerful one would be the one who would, you know, deliver us from the boot of the Romans on our neck, uh, redeem Israel. It, they, were, they were talking about what had happened in Jerusalem there in verse 14. Suddenly, Jesus is among them. Someone said, the stranger on the road to Emmaus. They were kept from recognizing him as if it was a, a miraculous thing that God intentionally didn't let them see who Jesus was. They were standing still and looking sad. And Cleopas says, you got to be the only person in Jerusalem who, who hadn't heard about this. And Jesus, who actually was tortured, tried, and crucified, says, what things? Which means Jesus definitely had a sense of humor. Emmaus was the site of a famous battle. Did you know that? People in that time would, would always associate Emmaus with because Emmaus was a famous battle where the Maccabean family overthrew their tyrannical dictator. 
And it would be like saying Gettysburg. You wouldn't just think of an idyllic town in Pennsylvania. You would think of a battle. It'd be like saying Pearl Harbor. You wouldn't just think of a beautiful place in Hawaii. You would think of an attack. If you said Emmaus, your mind would immediately think that's the place where they were delivered in the Maccabean revolts. These people lived with a constant reminder that's the town where they lived. So it would be easy for them to get the wrong idea about what Jesus came to do because they would feel the weight of Roman oppression. They would long to be free from it. And here's this person who's a miracle worker, very powerful. And lab, I mean, it was, wasn't it just a week ago, there were those palm branches. And in that culture, palm branches weren't just things that little children innocently attacked one another with on Palm Sunday. Palm, I mean, celebrated on Palm Sunday. Palm branches then were a sign of rebellion against authority. And, they had, and it was a demonstration. This whole Palm Sunday thing, it was a demonstration, a dangerous demonstration against some very dangerous people. And this was all fresh in their mind, but now their deliverer, conqueror, savior, one who is going to redeem us from Israel, was cruelly tortured and crucified in front of them. And even though there were rumors that the tomb was empty, they obviously had leaking hope. Yesterday I heard about a young couple, a nice young couple. They lost their job. They're trying something new. They lost their job. They had bought their first house, but they lost their first house. And they were watching, the, they're, they're right now watching the last of their money from the house leak away. And the young husband and dad is having his faith tested. I know a man, a very precious man, who sustained an unspeakable loss when his two sons died in a car crash. And it crushed his faith. Many are praying for him to return to the Lord, but right now, he just can't get past his bitter disappointment with God. I know a young mom who has suffered a lot of disappointment in her life, confusion. When she was a girl, she loved romance novels and romance movies, and she heard promises all her life, even from Sunday school teachers and pastors that if she did things the right way, that she would enjoy a romance like that. But her life hasn't turned out like that. And she's tempted to lose hope altogether sometimes. Maybe you too have been on the road to Emmaus, sad, head down, trudging in defeat, struggling to make sense of what's happening in your life. People of faith making sunny predictions, but when you investigate what they said, you're not so sure. And you don't have staggering visions that affirm what you're supposed to believe. Verse 24 is interesting. They said, some of those who were with us went to the tomb and they found it like the women said, but they didn't see. Obviously, that didn't cause them to believe that Jesus was alive. I'm tempted to think they might have doubted because they were girls, but I don't want to go there today. I mean, it's Easter and all. You ever meet a man that says, well, that's what the girls say, but I'm going to wait till the boys talk and then we'll decide. 
I mean, I've known guys like that. You got, I knew you were going to get quiet when I said that, but you got, you got to wonder if there's some of that there. The lady said this, so we sent some men. They said the same thing. Hmm, we still aren't sure about that. Jesus trusted women with, as, as the first to, to, to testify about his resurrection. Anyway, did that ever happen to you in any way? Can you relate to that? I was thinking about you this week and wondering about that. Have you ever had your spiritual wind knocked out? You ever have a child that's had their spiritual wind knocked out? You can't believe for them, but with all your heart you would if you could. You ever have a loved one that you can tell they're, 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 they want to believe, but they struggle with that. They're on the road to Emmaus. Have you ever faltered in your following Jesus? Have you ever hung your head and walked home in defeat? Have you ever leaked hope and lost faith? I want to talk to you, especially those of you who have been hurt or sad or disappointed or disillusioned or doubtful or wounded or broken or unsure. And maybe you want to believe, but there's just stuff in your life that makes it hard for you to believe. I want to talk to you especially today, you there on the road to Emmaus. I don't want to convince skeptics. That's for another day. And as tempting as it is, I don't want to preach directly to the choir, even though I love the choir. Not today, on this glorious resurrection morning, I want to do like Jesus did, follow you down the doubtful road to Emmaus. It's, you're like a bird with a broken wing. You're trying to fly, but you just can't get your faith off the ground. Like you're a Cleopas or, or a Mary. Or, and you, you don't hate Jesus, but you are walking away from him. You're considering going home in despair. How's that happen to people, I wonder? C.S. Lewis, it happened to him, um, happened because his mother died of cancer when he was young, and his dad sent him off to a boarding school, and he was mistreated there, and he stopped believing in God for a while. He, he took a deeper look, but that's a story for another day. Or maybe, maybe you're on the road to Emmaus because of your exposure to skepticism, because you think, like a lot of people do, you listen to the media and they say, you know what's behind all the trouble in the world, religious fanatics. And so you've been exposed to some skeptical suggestions and you haven't abandoned your faith, but it's leaking a little bit. Or maybe you just have strong competing desires that you can either follow those desires or you can follow Jesus, but it's really hard to do both. You can't. Or maybe for you and, and, and for a lot of people, when I, I talk to a lot of people like this, kind of between Sundays, it's Christians behaving badly. They're like, the whole Jesus story sounds cool, but his followers make it hard to follow because they hurt me because sometimes they're just jerks. <laughs> My son, he's a bivocational pastor. His wife works so that he can pastor a small church. He works too, as, as well as working in the, in the ministry, but he, he says some people from church came to the restaurant where he's working, and they're really, they're good people that were generous. They were generous in their tips, but he said, 
on Good Friday, they came and they were real owly. And the waitresses said, well, they tipped generously, but they were sure in a bad mood. I'm like, they just came from Good Friday service, so they're kind of dour. Catch them again on Sunday. You know, they'll be happier then. But he was like, wish, he, was, he was thinking, I wish along with their good tips that they gave, they could also be real sweet because he's witnessing to those waiters and waitresses. They gathered around him yesterday and said, so what are you going to say tomorrow? These waiters and waitresses that are not going to go to church, what are you going to say tomorrow anyway? Sometimes, I love Christians, I love you. I wouldn't say anything to hurt your feelings. But sometimes we get hurt by our brothers and sisters. And it makes our faith leak. It just makes our hope leak. That's legitimate. That's real. That's especially hard. I've had it happen to me. I Probably you've had it happen to you too. And now you're on the road to Emmaus. And your hope is leaking at least a little bit. You should be walking towards Jesus, but you're walking away. Or maybe there's just a drift of distraction. There's just so much going on, and life is so hard, and there's so many places to spend, and things don't happen the way you expected them to happen. And so you got that going on. Or maybe you're just really tempted to say, I need a powerful Savior who's going to help my personal economy. <laughs> I need a powerful Savior who's going to get me a better job, a better marriage, a happier life, uh, faster running times. I need a powerful Savior to, so that my guy wins next time we vote. Somebody that can make Israel great again, they were saying. Oh, yes, they were. That's exactly what they were saying. I don't know what you're thinking. It's okay. Jesus didn't come to make Israel great again. had a whole different thing in mind. It was much bigger than that. So what do you do when you're leaking hope? And your faith is shaken and you're sad. I have a suggestion. That's the second chunk here. The first one is sometimes your hope leaks for different reasons. The second chunk is when that happens, take a deeper look. Take a deeper look at the same stuff. Take a deeper look. Here, let's look at it in the text verse 25, things take a turn. Jesus is going to talk now after they've said their thing. Jesus says to them, he, he, he's kind, but he rebukes them. Oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He expected them to know their Bibles better than they did. Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Get it? Now they're on the road. They're standing still. They're sad. They've spilled their hearts to him. He looks at them and says, you, you foolish ones, you should know better. You've got Bibles. You, you, you either you know, didn't understand or didn't believe what the prophets said. What was it specifically? Verse 26. Was it not necessary that the Christ, the Messiah, would suffer these things and then enter into glory. Suffer these things and enter into glory. You saw the glory part, you missed the suffering part. You read the glory passages, you didn't read the suffering passages. You saw the powerful national delivery piece, which is kind of a picture of the future kingdom someday when Jesus literally takes over everything forever, but you missed the 
He died for the sins of individual people part. He suffered for your sins. You missed that. You misunderstood. Take his, his solution to their sadness and they're losing their grip on hope is the same stories you always heard growing up, the same passages you always read when you were a boy, that stuff that you already know, look at it again and see what you're supposed to see there. Not a, not a magic potion to make your life nicer, but, what, but who the Messiah deliverer really is and how, how he works. And so what does he, what does he do? He's, and, and it says this. This is amazing in verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So he gives them a Christology course and an Old Testament survey course altogether. Let's go back to Moses, because you guys think a lot of Moses, the deliverer. And let's talk about from Moses. This is, by the way, Jesus, just, just a little thing. Jesus believed that Moses wrote the Pentateuch. Some people don't, but Jesus did. And because that's what he would always say. Back in Moses, let's go back to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And let me show you the scriptures concerning Christ in the Old Testament. And later on, he'll say, in the prophets. And then later on, in John, in the Psalms, he shows the passages. The, the overarching narrative goes to Christ, but there are specific passages that are prophetic passages that not only say that Jesus will come to deliver, but how he will come to deliver through suffering and dying for the sins of the world. That's what he's saying you missed. Yesterday, wasn't it great? We had clear skies and we had warmer temperatures up in the mid-50s and it lured me outside to take a spin on my new bike. Got a bike last year, did I ever tell you that? I told everybody I know, right? So I got on my bike and I took a ride. It's kind of a slow old fat guy ride, but it was a ride, okay? I was outside, and it was, just, it was just so good to get the air in your lungs, you know. And then I came back to my desk up in the corner of my house, and I opened the window for the first time since last fall. Just opened the window right up there. And there's a woods draped over a hill north of our house, and it was just full of bird song yesterday. It was so beautiful. Bird, one bird I'd never heard before. And one I did recognize that you don't hear very often, but when you do, I always think it's just especially haunting. A barred owl calls over and over again. And when you hear them once, you're going to hear them again. They stay there. They, they, they stay there in the woods north of our house. I, I opened up the window to spring yesterday, and I let it come in my room. That's kind of what we're talking about. It's like, I know you're sad. I know you've had a lot of things beat you up. I know you've had disappointments. You have every reason to have some doubts. But would you please just open up your window to spring again and let it come back into your soul? God loves you. And he wants to refresh your heart. And you don't have to look somewhere new. You go back over the same old stories that have brought springtime to men's souls and women's souls for centuries. And eternal life to them. And then there's a third chunk. So the first chunk is sometimes there are faith leaks or hope leaks. And when that happens, the second chunk is 
Take a deeper look at Jesus in the Bible, if you will. Study your Bible more carefully so that you see what, what Jesus said and what he meant about what he said. Third, when hope leaks, spend some time with Jesus. I, I love this part of the story. You know how it goes, right? They're walking along the road. They're sad. They meet a stranger, maybe at a fork in the road. Maybe he overtakes them. Maybe they overtake him. Maybe he just like appears out of nowhere. They're like, who, who are you? And he's like, what are you talking about? He asked this question. They have this amazing exchange. He teaches them the Old Testament. And uh, later on, we're going to find out it was fascinating to them. And they're like, you ever had a conversation like this? Can we spend longer together? Can we talk some more? I, you ever have, you have a friend that you just hate leaving their house? You probably have a friend you can't wait to leave their house. But, but I'm talking about you can't wait till they leave your house. It's like, just go now. But, but there's, that, there's another friend that you like. You just hate it when they have to go. This is what was going on that, that day, that evening on the road. They were talking with this stranger, and he was saying things that were totally familiar and completely different. And they were thinking, could you come home with us? It's almost nighttime. Not knowing they were inviting the crucified risen son of God to their home and to their dinner table. When hope leaks, sometimes hope leaks, take a deeper look and at the risk of spiritualizing, spend some time with Jesus, invite him close. Now, now look, look what it says here. Verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. I like this. This is, again, kind of humorous. He acted as if he were going further. Would you like some banana nut bread? Oh, no, really, I shouldn't. Do you have coffee with that? That's what he did. He acted as if he was going further. They urged him strongly. Oh, no, no, stay with us. <laughs> it's toward evening, and the day is far spent, so he went to stay with them. Now, they're reclining at the table. That's what they did. Verse 30. He was at the table, the word there, he reclined at the table with them. And then something really different happened. It's their house, they're hosting him, but he does something very unusual. It would be like me coming to your house and saying, here, sit down, let me take care of you. You would go, I'm sorry, but I'm the host and you're the guest. You sit down, I'll take care of you. Jesus says, let me serve you the bread. He took the bread and he blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to them. Does that sound familiar to anybody? It would have sounded familiar to them, too. They would have remembered a time on the hillside, uh, you know, when they had the Jewish feeding of the 5,000. When he blessed, the, they had the loaves and the fishes for the little boy, and he blessed it and broke it. They would have been talking about that for years. They have been talking about that for centuries. And the next day on the other side over in Capernaum, he, his message title is, I... I'm the bread of life. That would have been a cool thing to pull off. The guy who fed you all that sweet bread yesterday and the fish, he's speaking on I'm the bread of life tomorrow over in the temple. And I'm sorry, in the synagogue. He does another feeding of the five thousand, or not five thousand, thousands, in the same book of the Bible for the over in Decapolis, like where the bad people live, the far country, the Gentiles. He did one for them too. And then of course there was that night when he broke the bread. And he said, this is my body broken for you. What, what happens when he breaks the bread 
is that they recognize who he is. Why? Maybe the miraculous, the scales are miraculously lifted. I suppose that's what happened. It might have coincided with it jogged their memory when he broke the bread and served them. Or, or then I'm just, and this, this is just sanctified guesswork. Did they see the scars in his hands when he served them the bread? So it says, he blessed it and broke it and gave it to them, and their eyes were open. And they recognized him. <laughs> and he was gone. He vanished from their sight. Now that, that's a story, isn't it? That's quite a story. That's quite, a, quite an account. <laughs> now that's, that's a lot of times where we stop, or maybe we get a little bit further, and we catch some of their dialogue, what they said to each other after he vanished. And the part after that, we usually don't tell as a part of the story, but let's get it all here, because it's the fourth act in the drama. The first one is sometimes our hope leaks. The second one is when hope leaks take a deeper look. The third one is when hope leaks spend some time looking Jesus in the eye. And the fourth one is when hope leaks start over again. Start over again. Look at, look at it in the text. There. Now it's in verse 32. They said to each other, this is one of my favorite parts of this, isn't it yours? Didn't our hearts burn within us? Didn't our hearts burn within us while, we talk, while he talked to us on the road and he opened to us the scriptures? Their hearts were sad and broken, but when he opened the scriptures to them and he adjusted their understanding and he showed them what he was about and what he was doing. Then their hearts were warm. They weren't sad anymore. They weren't defeated anymore. They weren't walking away anymore. They were saying, come with us. That's sweet. And they rose that same hour, this is at nighttime, and they hoofed it back to Jerusalem. Specifically, it says in the ESV, they returned to Jerusalem. Imagine, is it dark? Is it dusk? Is it a pre dusk? Is, the, is it evening there? Or is it da dark? And they're headed back seven miles. It's a couple of hours, maybe a little faster if they're young, maybe a little bit longer if they're not, or depending on the terrain or the darkness. They're going to spend a couple of hours, and they are completely different people now. They were trudging home in, with sad hearts, and now they're, we got to get with the other people, and we got to tell them, they were girls, but they were right. <laughs> they were right. Those, those guys that they said the tomb was empty, his body wasn't stolen. We actually saw him. You're not going to believe this, but he taught us the Old Testament, and we didn't recognize him, and then he broke the bread, and then he disappeared. They're, they can't wait to get back to the other Jesus followers and talk about it. They're not walking away anymore. And they're back on mission to tell everybody they know. They rose that same hour. They returned to Jerusalem. They found the 11. And those who were with them gathered there, saying, The Lord is risen indeed. He's appeared to Simon. That's what they said to him and them. And then they said, they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. They were sad, faith leaking, hope leaking. Then he had them take a deeper look at the, at the old scriptures. And then 
they had their hearts warmed. And then he broke the bread and looked them in the eye, and then they had their eyes open. So if you are sad, and your hope is leaking, and you take a deeper look, it will warm your heart, and you sit with Jesus, and he will open your eyes. And then you'll be back with God's people, and you'll be back on mission for God. That's possible for you. Somebody said, you've doubted your faith, now you need to doubt your doubts. You can't build your life on doubts, but you can build your life on faith. Here are the Emmaus truths. Are you ready? We'll do this quickly. If you're struggling to hold on to hope, maybe it's a good idea if you don't walk the Emmaus road alone. Here's another one. When you feel like giving up and you're on the road home, don't be surprised if Jesus shows up. When you're losing hope, you should move toward Jesus, but sometimes you move away. And when you move away, Jesus has every reason to walk away from you, but sometimes he will follow you down the road. Always make room for Jesus in your conversation. And if you don't understand everything right now, God may be withholding truth from you until the time is right for you to receive it for your own good. He may strategically withhold some truth for you for now because it will be good for you to receive it at a perfect time. They, used to, they wrote an old song we used to sing as a family. We'll understand it better by and by. Much of our sadness can be traced to a misunderstanding of who Jesus is and what he was doing. Our leaking hope can be traced to a misunderstanding of who Jesus is and what he was doing and how he was doing it. You wanted a life without suffering. Jesus says, it's not how it worked for me. It's not how it will work for you. Much of our sadness can be traced to a misunderstanding of Jesus, who Jesus is, how he works. Hope leaks when we misunderstand who Jesus is and how he works. We all love signs and wonders, you, mystic circumstances. I'm a little vulnerable to that. We, but we must build our faith on Jesus and his revealed written word. This is how we locate our faith. A strong faith that doesn't leak is rooted in the written word Jesus left us with the Holy Spirit and the, and the scriptures to inform us. For followers of the risen Christ, our greatest victories and our brightest glories often spring out of what looks, like, looks to everyone and feels like defeat to us and failure. Our greatest victories and greatest glories will come out of the times when we felt defeated. I've had this in my life. Have you had this in your life? You're like, this thing that God did that I, that I, that I always want to talk about, I want to write a book about it. I, I want to find somebody who doesn't know the story so that I can tell them the story about what happened to me. And sometimes I'll tell my same friends the story over and over again, and they have to pretend they're still interested in the story because I want to tell them what God did. But he did it through the saddest thing that ever happened to me. Some of the happiest things that have ever happened to me were flowers growing in the soil of the saddest things that ever happened to me. That's how God works. So I know you're going through something sad that you don't understand, and you want to get on the road to Emmaus and go home. But look around, Jesus is with you. He wants to bring you back into the fellowship and put you back on mission. How sweet is that? I love that. You tell I love this story. There's glory in suffering and servanthood. Christ didn't come to save us from suffering. Christ came to save us by suffering. There's a glory in suffering and servanthood, according to the Bible. Jeff Mannion said, a pastor in Grand Rapids, he said, we don't follow Jesus to get where we're going. We follow Jesus to get where he's going. 
You know, I'm say, I'll follow you as long as, you know, you go where I want to go and do what I want you to do. He's like, that's not how it works. When you need your heart warm, take a deeper look at Jesus. Did you get that? When you need your eyes open, spend some intimate time with Jesus. Have a meal. Take communion. When your heart is warmed and your eyes are open and your hope is restored, you will long for the fellowship of the risen Christ. You want to be with other Christian people and you want to be back on the mission of Jesus. So I have an Easter challenge for you before you go home. Hunt Easter eggs and eat ham and all that stuff. Hang out with your family. I have a challenge for you. Take a deeper look. Come to church at least 10 weeks in a row. Don't miss for anything. Just come to church 10 weeks in a row. Whatever else somebody says they want you to do, tell them, can't do that, go into church this week. 10 weeks in a row. Some of you are like, I'm always here. I'm like, I was up preaching to the choir today, remember? If your hope is leaking, 10 weeks in a row. And then get the old book out. Take the book of John, for instance, just like the Gospel of John and just read it. Just read the Gospel of John. Read it slow, taste it as you read it. Read it again. Or Matthew or Mark or Luke, those are really good ones. But there are a lot of good ones, you know. But Gospel of John, that's my challenge. My challenge is come 10 weeks in a row, read the Gospel of John. You know, I, uh, one of the most moving moments in our trip to the Holy Land was when we went to the garden tomb. There was a small wooden plaque. When we finally, we waited in line, and, and there were groups from all over the world, and we waited in line, and we finally got in. There was a, there was a small wooden plaque. And you know what it says? It, it's, it's over the empty tomb on the inside. You know what it says? He is risen. That's what it says. Remember that? I wasn't really prepared for the emotions that would sweep over me when Lois and I stepped into that tomb and I looked at that sign. It was that, that plaque because I'd seen it pictures of it so many times when I was a boy. Every time they taught the story, it seemed like one of our teachers would show that very picture of that very little plaque. And now I was standing there with Lois in the, in the land where Jesus walked and, and talked and taught like no one had ever taught before or since. <laughs> His teaching amazed and transformed and laid the foundation for all that is good and civil. He fed the hungry, sometimes taking a few loaves and fish and feeding vast multitudes of people. He healed the sick and diseased and listened to the lowly and stopped and stooped to serve the broken. He cast out demons. He didn't run away from demonized people. He wasn't afraid. He walked on water. He calmed angry seas. He withstood self-righteous abusers to their face. He showed mercy to the guilty. He resisted legalism. He lifted the head of those who were crushed with shame. He blessed children. He treated women with dignity. And he captured the loyalty of strong men. He restored sight to the blind. He made the crippled walk and the lame leap for joy. He made sad, anxious, depressed, hurting people glad. He set slaves free, straightened crooked souls, restored stray disciples over a seaside breakfast that he prepared with his own hands. He was tender with people who were ashamed. He was mighty in word and deed with God and with men. And the religious establishment 
and hated the competition, so they trumped up false charges against him, and they tried him, and they tortured him, and they crucified him. They abused him. They mocked him. They scorned him. They blasphemed him. They crushed him. They stripped off his clothes and crowned him in a mock coronation, the very king of the universe. But the crown they made was a cruel crown of thorns. Blood poured down over his gentle face and across his loving eyes and they drove spikes in his hands and feet and they mocked him and he died writhing in pain on the cross between men who deserved to die. People that were passing spit in his face and they pulled out his beard. His mother was forced to watch. His mother wouldn't go away. She couldn't go away, but she had to watch him suffer and die. The midday sun turned to midnight black and for three hours the father turned his face away and the sinless son of God paid the sin debt for a guilty world and there in the darkness Jesus gave up his life he laid down his life for us they thrust a spear in his side to hasten his death but he had already laid down his life the world walked away from Calvary, and a few disciples got permission to bury his body in a tomb, like the one where Lois and I were standing that day. But there's more to the story. Three days and three nights later, he did what he said he would do. He rose again. He's alive forever. He had meetings with his disciples back in Galilee, in the upper room, on the road to Emmaus, and by, lapping, by the lapping shore of Galilee, and there in Bethany with his friends Mary and Martha, and resurrected Lazarus, who had borrowed a tomb for a while. Also, Lazarus would use his tomb again, but Jesus would never use his again. His tomb would be forever empty. Jesus briefly walked through this world. He left behind him in every city hospitals and churches and schools and organizations to help those in need, loyal clusters of followers quietly doing good. His teaching was the foundation of all that is good and civil in our society. There's a rescue mission here, and there's a food distribution center there, and there's a place where people can recover from alcohol and drug abuse and, and get free of the grip of addictions, and there are, are camps all over the place where little people hear this story about Jesus every night of the summer. And there are colleges and there are seminaries. And there are orphanages in almost every country on earth because this Jesus who rose again. Wherever his followers go, there are homes healed, marriages restored, sinners forgiven, and captives set free. And I know your life is hard today. And I know that you sometimes leak hope. But I want you to remember this. Jesus is alive. He came and conquered sin and death in the grave. He is risen indeed. I know you want to say it with me. He is risen. He is risen <laughs> Come and pray. Stand for a closing blessing. <laughs>